Psalm 89 is we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have ushers who would love to get a Bible in your hand. Uh, we're going to be going through the whole chapter. There's a ton of verses there, so you probably want to have God's Word open in front of you as you follow along. If you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home as our gift to you. But bust out Psalm 89. If, you've, if you're unfamiliar with where Psalms are, it's right pretty much in the middle of your Bible. You'll be able to find it pretty easily if you just crack it open to the middle and go to Psalm 89. You know, we're in the middle of this series now, uh, Knowing God. And, and, and the whole reason we're doing this is we want to get to know who God is. Why is that? Why do we want to know God more? Because here's what, here's what I believe. The most important thing about you and me, the most important thing about us is who we are in relation to God. The most important thing about you is who you are in relation to God. Now, our, our world's going to tell us a lot different than that, right? Advertisers will tell us, no, who you are is, is who you are in relation to your stuff. Who you are is who you are in relation to the, to the way you look. Social media would ha- have you more think of your life in relation to, to friendships or family or, or this life that you have. Or maybe as you're on social media, the life that you don't have and you wish you had, right? But the Bible calls us back over and over again to say, say not that our stuff and our friendships and, and, and relationships, not, not that they're, they're not good things. It's just that's not where we look for who we are. In fact, even those things find their ultimate meaning in how we see them in relation to God. Our value, our our purpose, our identity, our meaning is found who we are in relation to our God. And so in this series, we're we're walking through, hey, who is God? What's what's he look like? What are his attributes? Because we want to know him better. So this morning, we're going to unpack Psalm 89 to look at, at, at knowing God as a faithful God. That God is a God in in whom you can trust. That he has a steadfastness and a faithfulness. That our God is faithful and true. We want to see that that those who have received the promises of God, that God's going to fulfill those promises. I love chapter 89 of Psalms because it's it's a great place to go when you want to talk about God's faithfulness. And, And here's why I like Psalm 89. He's going to talk about God's goodness and his steadfast love and his faithfulness, but he he's doing it from a place that's very real. It's not this 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 guy writing the Psalms, he's kicked back and life is easy and good for him. No, it's it's difficult for him. And I like that. Here's why I like that. Because because he's speaking from a real place we can relate to. Like I, I Listen, it's a true statement for someone to say, hey, money can't buy you happiness. And I believe that statement, but I, I really don't love hearing it from the person who's super wealthy. Hey, money can't buy you happiness as he's sitting, you know, sipping a Mai Tai on the beach, right? Really? Like, what do you, it bought you a lot of stuff, right? But, but, but here we have the psalmist here and he's saying, hey, I want to talk to you about God's goodness and his steadfastness and his, his trustworthiness. And he's talking about it as he's living in a very real broken world. Maybe you're new here to Harvest and, and, and you look around, you see a lot of happy, put together, people are doing really well. And you're thinking, man, I mean, people here have problems. I'll tell you this. Every row of this church could have a story of hurt, of brokenness, of difficulty. And, and maybe every row does not have life-shattering loss, but, but I would say there's so many here that, that, that we live in a fog of adversity sometimes where, where one struggle builds up on another struggle and frustration builds up on frustration, and it can get to a point where it causes us to say, where are you, God? Are you worthy of, of my faith? Are you trustworthy? Are you faithful? 
And I would say this, a big part of my job as a pastor is, is to get us to a place where we can suffer well. Because we know that, that suffering is coming or suffering is here or you have suffered. So we want to dig into God's word. And, and I think my job as a pastor is to, to, to get us to a place, all of us, where we have a proper theology of who God is. So when life is hard, we have something true to hold on to. So with that in mind, before we jump into Psalm 89, let me just uh, call out to God now uh, together. Let me just pray for us. Lord God, I thank you that you are a faithful God. I thank you that your promises are true. I thank you that we can can put the weight of our whole life on you. So, Father, I pray that even now as we dig into your word, God, I pray that we be encouraged by it. I pray that we be challenged by it. God, I pray for those who are here in this room this morning who who are maybe find themselves in a stormy life right now, who, who who are up against difficulties. God, I pray that we would see that your promises are true, that we can anchor our life on them even in the midst of storms. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles open, Psalm 89. Um, he's, he's writing this psalm here, the psalm writer, and he's writing and, and singing about God's faithfulness. And, and he's describing, this is, this is how God is steadfast. This is how he is, is faithful. This is his, his love. And, and you can see in verses 1 to 4, he goes, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. This is a promise given to King David. He says, and it's this promise of steadfastness. And then he goes on to to talk about it. He says in verse 5, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? And greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging sea when its waves rise and you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with a mighty arm. Now Rahab here, it's it's, it's a word that means the proud one. Usually in scripture, it can often talk about Egypt. So so the author here might be talking about, man, God, you rescued us and you took out the proud one of Egypt when we were slaves there and you rescued us because of your steadfast love. He goes on, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, that's, those are two mountains. They, they joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. He's saying, God, you are powerful over everything, over all creation. We gather together to worship because of how powerful you are. He goes on, verse 16, who exalt in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted, for you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Saying, God, you are righteous, you are good, you are faithful, your promises are sure. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning. It's this God's faithfulness gives me a sure hope. 
God's faithfulness gives me this sure hope. I, mean, I love how it says in Hebrews 6 that, that the promises of God, that they're an anchor for our soul. I like that idea, that this anchor for our soul. I mean, if you've ever gone fishing before and you, you take your boat out into the lake and, and you want to stay in one spot, right, you, you throw an anchor over. Why? Because if you don't, the, the currents of the water will take you wherever they want you to go. And so you need to, you need to put an anchor into the water. And that anchor gives you security. Now, why does it? Because, first of all, it's connected to you. It's connected to the boat. And then, secondly, you're throwing it into the water, but not just into the water. If it just went into the water, then you'd still be carried around wherever the currents would take you. But it goes deep until it reaches solid ground. And why throw an anchor? Because you and I, we can't reach down deep enough. We can't get deep enough into the water to hold our boat in place. So this anchor goes to where we can't go, not just in the water, but right down to where you're secure. And when, when it reaches something stable and secure, now you, in your boat, you're stable and secure. E- even though you're on top of the water where the currents can move you, you, you have the benefit of the security of where your anchor is holding. I think that's what the psalmist is laying out for us here. He's saying, hey, here's some solid ground. Here's, here's a rock that you can anchor your soul to. This anchor that you you desperately need because, listen, we live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world of change. And he's saying, listen, there is a hope for you. There is something that you can anchor your soul to. Now, he's not just talking in general terms here. He's he's going after a a very specific promise of God. Look at verse 3. He says, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I made a promise with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. What did he swear to him? God said, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. He said, hey, hey. We can put our hope in God as a, a faithful God because of the promise he gave David. He, he gave David this promise in, in 2 Samuel 7. Then, but the psalmist here lays it out for us real, with so much clarity in, in verses, starting in verse 20. You can see this promise that God gave David. Here it is. God says this in verse 20. I found David my servant. With my holy oil I've anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove him from my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant nor alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. 
The, the psalmist here is drawing our, our attention to the promise of God's steadfast love, something solid for us to hold on to, and he's, he's bringing us to this promise, the biblical word, this covenant that God made with David. Now, what's a covenant? A covenant is this legally binding personal promise. It, it's not just a personal promise, which is great. It's great that it's personal because it's, it's intimate, it's relational, it's between God and David, between God and us in a personal way, but it's, it's also legal. I mean that it's binding, it's sure, it's steadfast. There's an accountability to it. And this covenant promise is from God to David, but when you get to the New Testament, you see this fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When you're reading the New Testament, you, you read it this way, as you're reading it, you, you'll start to see that it shines a light on the Old Testament, and it brings to light some things that were darker in the Old Testament. You're like, I don't quite get that. And then you read the New Testament, you're like, wait a minute, this makes sense now. This promise of a coming king from the line of David that, that would rule forever. And then you get to the book of Matthew, and Matthew lays out the genealogy of Jesus, and you see in it David. Like, wait a minute, he, he comes from the line of David. And then he's called the son of David over and over again. And it's this light shining on the Old Testament promise to David that, that through Jesus, this promise is fulfilled. That we have a better David. That we have an eternal king. We, we have a king who is faithful in his love for us. In Jesus, we see this steadfast love of God, this love poured out on us, not because of anything we've done. This, this covenant promise not poured out on us because of our goodness. It's not like, well, if I do good things, then I'll, I'll get the promises of God. No, we see through Jesus Christ that his grace poured out on us because of his goodness and his steadfast love. In fact, the, the Hebrew word used for steadfast love here in the Psalms here, it's a Hebrew word called hesed, which is, which is a word closely linked to the word grace that we use. This idea that, that it's God's eternal love poured out on us, but not dependent on us. It's not conditional on, on you and me. It's completely based on Jesus. And here's what that means. Here's why this is such good news. Here's why this promise is so awesome. It means those who are rebellious and sinful and separated from God, listen, that's everybody, separated from a holy God, but because of his grace, because of his steadfast love through Jesus, we're now brought into the family of God. It's awesome. We weren't good enough on our own. Our own merits could not get us there. In fact, we're so far gone, so broken, so sinful, so rebellious that Jesus had to die in our place. But here's the great thing. When, 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 when Jesus died, with his sacrificial death, it, it closes the gap so that God's promise to David is now a promise that we get to partake in. That God's wrath towards sin fully poured out on Jesus, our substitute, so that we no longer get that penalty. But when you put your anchor into this gospel truth, this hope, when you put your anchor there, you get the benefits of the promise. Here's what I love about that. This, this, the truth of the gospel speaks to both kinds of people. It speaks to the person who says, well, I think I'm good enough to get to God on my own. And then you start to realize, wait a minute, Jesus had to die. I'm not good enough. But it also gives hope to those who think that they could never be loved by God. And maybe you're here this morning and you'd you had so many of God's laws. I've hurt so many people. I've hurt myself. And listen, you're right. God can't love you because of you. But listen, through the gospel, he says, I love you with a steadfast love 
through Jesus Christ, through his son. God's love for us, this promise that he has for us, this final and complete promise is based on the final and complete sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. And listen, that is an anchor for your soul. That God came through with the promise he gave David. He came through his his promise to save us, his promise to bring us into his kingdom forever. Your anchor can rest in that eternal rock of Jesus Christ. That's a promise that's secure. It's faithful and true, not because we're faithful and true. It's faithful and true because God is. And there's, there's nothing else in our world that's that sure that you can anchor your soul to it. And we got a choice then. If that's true, where where do I put my anchor then? I mean, I can put my anchor into other people and say, man, you're going to uphold me. You're going to be my fulfillment. You're going to be my meaning. And what what are we doing then? We're taking our anchor and throwing it in somebody else's boat and hoping we're secure. We can say, well, maybe it's other other things. And and we're just throwing our anchor at, at things floating in the water, hoping maybe this will keep me secure. And listen, life experience has probably shown you, it's shown me that It doesn't offer solid hope. If I keep putting my hope in people or things, it leads to to disappointment, it leads to anxiousness, it leads to grasping for more, it leads to fear. So so then some people say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not throwing my anchor in somebody else's boat because I can't trust people. I'm only going to trust myself. I'm putting my hope in me. But think about how ridiculous that is with your anchor. Where are you throwing your anchor then? In your own boat. Again, no stability. It leads to more despair or, or, or it drives us to a, a hardened heart. Maybe you've, you've met someone like this. Maybe you've wrestled with this where you're like, I don't trust anybody. I just trust myself. Listen, here's the other choice. I can lower my anchor into the promise of the gospel. The promise that says that although I am more sinful than I'd want anybody here to know, that through Jesus Christ I'm also more loved than I would ever imagine being loved. That's the hope we can set our anchor into. And so what do we do then? We, we lower that anchor as we trust in Jesus alone, as we worship Jesus alone, as we treasure Jesus alone. We put our anchor into him alone. Listen, that's how you become a Christian. It's that moment you say, I'm not putting my anchor anywhere else. I'm putting the hope of my life in this, in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, I'm bringing you all my sin and my brokenness. I'm bringing you every hope that I've got, and I'm putting it fully in you. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you receive the promises of God. But listen, if you're a Christ follower, that's how you walk with him too. It's this daily looking and seeing where I've thrown my anchor and, and doing the same kind of repenting, which is turning from what I'm doing and doing the thing that God's called me to do. So seeing, man, my anchor's not supposed to be here. This is what I need. And you pull that up. And again, daily coming back to the gospel saying, Jesus, my hope's in you. My hope's in you alone. That anchor for our soul that we so desperately need is found only in the solid rock of God's unfailing love in Jesus Christ, the rock of the gospel. Now, now, how does the psalmist respond to this steadfast love? Look, look at verse 1. Here's how he responds. Verse 1 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Here's our second point this morning. It says, God's faithfulness gives me a deep joy. 
It gives me a deep joy. I mean, the, the psalmist here, he's like, man, this love he has for me, this eternal love that, that I get and I don't deserve, he, he says, man, I, I, when he hears about it, he just bursts out in worship. I mean, how about you and me? Do you understand that that's why we gather together on a Sunday morning to sing together? It's, it's not about being entertained. It's not about just doing a religious check mark where I come and I've got to sing. It's, it's the response, the natural response of a redeemed people. And we, we come together and we lift our voices together to what? To a faithful God. All of our voices, listen, good or bad voices. Right? It's, it's not that you need to be a good singer to lift up your voice in worship, all right? It it's, comes from a heart filled with joy. So it's a joyful voice, even if it's not a skillful voice. It's this heart that is so filled with the transformation that I can't believe that God has chosen me, changed me, transformed me, redeemed me. And then out of that love that is poured out on you, there's this overflowing that, that comes out in worship. Let me ask you, is, is that you? I mean, do you worship like somebody who's gone from death to life? Well, I'm not really that kind of person. I'm kind of more laid back, and and so I don't really do that. I don't get in. I don't sing really loud. I would never raise my hands. I'm just not that kind of a worshiper. And listen, I've never seen somebody who has been rescued from death to life be bored about it or be quiet about it. You win a lottery, you're going to cheer, right? Your team scores a goal, you're going to cheer. Listen, you are an enemy of God, separated from him for eternity in hell, forever under his holy and just wrath. And yet because of his steadfast love, because of his grace through Jesus Christ, you are now saved. You're a child, you're a son or a daughter of the king, rescued and redeemed forever. Amen. The response to that is, man, I'll sing about that. I can't be a spectator when that kind of worship's happening. Man, I gotta be engaged. And, and so what I'd ask is if, if someone were to come in here on a Sunday morning and they come in here wondering, man, is this Jesus thing real? Is he, is he really faithful? Does he really have this steadfast love? Is, does he really change your life? Would they see in your worship the truth of that gospel? Or, or would they see a, a bored, unengaged, amazing grace really isn't that amazing kind of worship? I'm telling you, this is why we strive to, to have, I mean, earth-shaking, window-rattling, all-in kind of worship in our church. This is why it, it, it's tragic when, when, when you miss the first two worship songs. If you roll in here late, I'm telling you, you're missing this opportunity to say, my heart is filled with this joy, and now I've got to express it to my faithful God. That's, if that's you, if, if Jesus has changed you, if he has, you worship. Now, if, if you find your worship stale, if you're like, man, I don't, I don't really get that. Like, I, I, I don't think I, I enter into worship that way. I'm telling you, it's not about a style of worship. It's not about pumping yourself up more. It's not, it's not fake it till you make it. Here's what it is. If you find it hard to engage in worship, it's taking time to remember the gospel. That, that you, you come to worship going, man, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I've been brought to life in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, your heart fills with gratitude and and wonder at that, at the steadfast love of God. And you sing.
Now, the, the psalmist doesn't just sing. Here It says in verse 1, I'll sing, but then it goes on. It says, with my mouth, I'll make known the faithfulness to all, your faithfulness to all generations. He said, man, I, I'm going to talk about this too. There's this deep joy in him that goes, man, I, I, I can't keep this in. And so he begins to talk about, about this amazing grace that he's found. And whenever you talk about how God rescued you, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're making known his faithfulness. We found something amazing. We share it. I mean, don't we do that with other stuff? I mean, if, if you find a great restaurant, what do you do? You tell people about it, right? Man, I ate this great place. You've got to go. This place is so good. If you've got a deal on something, you want to let people know about it. If, if you listen to a great podcast, you're going to tell other people about it. If, if, if you download the new, the new operating system for your iPhone, I mean, you can make emojis now that look like yourself. This is amazing. You want to tell everybody, right? Maybe not. Maybe that's not your thing, all right? But whatever it is that you're excited about, what do you do? You want to let other people know. Listen, if I, if I could be honest with you this morning, I mean, it's sad to say this, but I, I find myself so many times sharing with people about things that ultimately don't matter, especially things that don't matter into eternity. I spend so much time talking about things that, that really aren't that important, and, and, and maybe you're the same as I am. And you find it easier to talk about, about so many things other than talking about the faithfulness of God. But listen, there's a cure for that too. It's when you see the faithfulness of God, of, of his love for you in Christ, that, that when you see that as more amazing, more beautiful, more valuable, more treasured than anything else this world gives us, you can't help but tell people. As we, as we rehearse that daily, as we remember that daily, it fills us up and it spills out in worship. It spills out in words. It spills out in words to our family so we raise up another generation that is, that is blown away by the grace of God. It spills out to, as we talk to our neighbors and our friends and our family members about this. It brings a deep joy. And now here's the thing about this psalm, though. It's what I mentioned at the beginning of the message, and the psalm doesn't stop there. I mean, if we could just stop reading the verses and be like, great, we have joy, yay, Jesus, we go out of here, right? But, but the psalmist doesn't stop there. In fact, if you're reading this thing and, and you get to verse 38, it's, if this is a song, it's almost like the song stops in the middle of the song. And it's like, like the, the instrument's kind of, and the feedback comes over the speakers, like, where is this going? It takes this crazy turn. But look at verse 38. It says, but now you've cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him, and he's become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You've covered him with shame. Here's our last point this morning. It's this. God is faithful when the storm is raging. God is faithful when the storm is raging. The, the psalmist here is talking about a, a pretty great storm in the life of Israel. He's likely writing about the time of exile. And what happened? Because of Israel's sin, because they didn't obey God, because they didn't walk with God, 
the kingdom was divided. And then, and then after it was divided, the Babylonians come in and they ransack Jerusalem. They burn down the temple. They tear down the walls. They plunder the city. They, they murder King Zedekiah's family in front of him. They say, hey, you're going to watch as we kill your whole family. Then after they do that, they took out his eyes, saying, that'll be the last thing you see. They then take the king blind with uh, all the people, and they take them off into captivity. I mean, think about who, where, where you're at right now. Think about being in that place where, where you're thinking about God's steadfast love in that place, where, where, where your king is a blind captive, where your city is plundered and decimated, where the temple is demolished. I mean, those promises of God seem so far away right now. They sounded so amazing and so personal, and, and yet now they say, man, I don't even know if I can see them, and these verses are filled with so much pain Yet the psalmist continues to talk to God saying, you've done this. Why would he say that? Is he blaming God? No, I think this. I think the psalmist understands God, what we've been talking about in this sermon series, that, that God is sovereign and all-powerful and in control. And so he's wrestling, God, God, how do I reconcile with what's going on right now? I know you're in control. I, I know you're, you're a sovereign God. How do I reconcile that with with your promises. Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever felt that, that, listen, I know God is faithful. And I know he keeps his promises. I know that he's always good. But there are these times when the, the realities of God's promises and life's pain just don't seem to line up well. I mean, I've been there before. I, I've sat in, in countless hospitals with people who have received horrible news. Sat with people who have, who have wrestled with pain for, for a lifetime. I've been there on my own. Lonely and, 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 and feeling like the struggles of what I'm going through are overpowering God's promises. So where do we go in moments like that? We go back to God and his promises. We return, we rehearse, we plead with God to remember his promises. And the, the appeal isn't to remind God of his promises, it's more to remind myself of the promises of God. So we go to God saying, God, God, I need to see your promises again. In fact, look at verse 46. It says, how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is for what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Sheol's the grave, a picture of hell. Who can deliver themselves from the grave from death? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of the many nations with which your enemies mock. O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And the appeal here is it's, it's based on, on the psalmist's understanding of who God is. He says, I'm not anchoring myself to my circumstances. I'm not letting that be what defined me, but I'm going to anchor myself to God's character. So he appeals to God. He says, God, you're a God of compassion. I know that's who you are. 
You're a God of power. You're, you're a God of justice. You're a God of your promises. And so his hope, he's not placing his hope in the why is this happening. He's not even placing his hope in just the, the, the when, but he's placing his hope in the who, the one who can rescue. Here he says, who can, who can live forever? Who can be rescued from Sheol? Those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that you and I can't do it, but God can do it for us. And notice where he ends after all of this. It's unbelievable. After, after all we've heard in the song, after the up and down roller coaster of, of circumstances and promises and, and things that are hurting this and things that are so difficult, look at verse 52. He ends with this, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. In the midst of a dark storm, he says, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. He's saying, God, I can't walk this out. God, I can't figure this out. I can't be stable in this storm on my own. I can't get my own anchor and, and stop this from happening. I'm not faithful, but I know you are faithful, and so I'm calling out to you. I'm going to look. I'm going to contemplate. I'm going to think about. I'm going to sing about your goodness and your steadfast love. You see what that means? It means that even when you come in here on a Sunday morning to worship, the psalmist is worshiping not from a place of ease and good times. He's worshiping from this place of struggle. Where he's saying, I'm doing this because I'm placing my hope in you today. The God who can sustain me. The God who is faithful and true to his promises. And, and you see the cross of Christ in the middle of that storm, and, and you say, God, you're faithful. You've redeemed me. You've rescued me, and so I'm going to trust you in the midst of this storm. I'm going to throw my anchor again into the promise of the gospel, knowing that I'm yours forever. And it grows this deeper joy. The, the promises actually grow deeper in that. So that in the storms, the promises actually become more, not less. I mean, think about it. Have you ever read the promise in Psalms where it says that God will give you the desires of your heart? And you can think, sweet, because I could use a new job. Or I'm, I, I, I want a spouse that loves me, you know, and I, I want this family, I want this stuff. And you, you start thinking about all the desires of your heart. It's in the storm you begin to see the promises in their true depth. That that good career you're looking for, that spouse you're looking for, they're a means to an end. They're, they're part of our search, our heart's desperate cry for significance, for acceptance, for meaning, for identity. And God says, I'm going to give you all those deeper desires of your heart. And he's saying, listen, in the midst of the storm, you don't always know what will satisfy those desires, but I do because I created you, God says. And I'll fulfill these promises. Drop your anchor into me. I'm doing something you don't know. Don't we do this with our kids? Haven't you said this to your kids ever? Hey, just trust me, right? Like, I know you don't want to do this, but you just got to trust me. This is going to be good. You're going to like this. This is going to be so great, and you need to trust me because I see things you don't see. I know things you don't know, right? We say that to our kids. Listen, God is infinitely more wise than any parent here in this room, and he's faithful to fulfill his promises. And so when we're struggling to see, man, I don't see God's faithfulness in this, we miss it because we're looking for God to fulfill his promise in the way that we want it. And God's saying, listen, I, I might not do it the way you want it. I'm going to do it the way that's great for my glory and best for your good, and I'm doing something you can't even see. 
And there'll be times, listen, if you've walked with Christ for, for a long time, there are those things that you can look back on even now and go, man, I didn't get it at the time. But man, I so see where God was leading me through that valley of the shadow of death. I so see what he was doing. But listen, listen. There might be some storms that you won't know why until you get to heaven. As we close, this this is important. The comfort of this psalm won't bring you comfort if you don't believe the promises of the gospel. If you don't put your anchor in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make sense if you're not trusting in Christ, if you're not believing that God is sovereign and good, if you're not believing that he's, he's rescued you, redeemed you, has a plan for you, that he's made you his own. Because that's the place we need to set the anchor to be able to trust him when we can't see what's going on, when we don't know what God is doing. So let me wrap this up with some practical thoughts. Hey, hey what do I do when I'm in the midst of a storm? What do I do when I'm looking for the promises of God? Here's the first thing we can do, is to look beyond the storm. Look beyond the storm. I mean, there are those times in the midst of the storm where like, God, where are you? What are you doing? How long, oh Lord? Just like the psalmist. And those are, those are great questions to ask. I, I love that the psalms are filled with those kind of questions. That, that to be super spiritual does not mean that you never ask God questions. It doesn't mean that you're, you're good with everything. To be spiritual can mean that I feel abandoned. I, I mean, I'm struggling in this. But here's what I'm saying when I say look beyond the storm. In the midst of the struggle, we need to make a, a, a distinguish between, we need to distinguish between what we feel and what is true. In the storms, you can feel abandoned without actually being abandoned. Here's what I mean. I was sitting just a, a week or so ago with someone in our church who was dying of cancer. Days are short. Um, as I walked out of that house, what should have been this, this horrible, dark storm, when I heard them talk about the gospel, talk about who Jesus is, it, it's almost like the picture I get is there was this raging storm of cancer and uncertainty all over the living room, but, but this person was sitting calmly in their boat, anchored to Jesus. They, they talked about God's goodness, his goodness that they'd be like, man, that he would save me. They talk about, yeah, my, my, my days on, on earth are limited, but I have Jesus forever, so I'm going to use every minute I've got between now and when I see him face to face to know him more, to worship him more, and to do what he's called me to do while I'm still here. I mean, that's an anchor thrown deeply into the gospel, isn't it? Look beyond the storm. Here's the second thing we can do. Cling to God's promises. Listen, this is what it means to, to be a Christ follower. You, you start the journey by grabbing a hold of the promise of Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, it's, it's the same thing. It's grabbing a hold of these promises day in and day out, especially as you find whatever it may be. It's saying, listen, I know that God saved me from the greatest storm that I was facing, which is the storm of his wrath. And so I can trust him with this smaller storm. That, that if God would, would rescue and redeem me when I was his enemy, as, as he took care of the eternal, how much more now in the storm as I'm his child would he not be faithful? Romans 8.32 says it this way, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so you preach those promises to your soul. 
You sing the promises of the gospel in worship. You, you pray them. You, you rehearse them. And, and we do this. How long do we do that? We do it until our faith becomes sight. Until we see Jesus. Cling to those promises. Here's the third thing we do in, in the midst of these storms. To see that God is faithful, we call out to God for help. And it's not just, God, take care of the storm. Would you take the storm away? It's calling out, Lord God, help me see your faithfulness in this. Help me cling to your promises. Help me not to pull my anchor out of where it needs to be and throw it somewhere where it's not going to help me. God, God, show me more of who you are in this storm because I need you to persevere. I want to get to a place where I could say, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. Now, here's the thing. As you call out to God in prayer for that, God, God, I want to see your promises. This is a difficult prayer to do on your own. Being in storms alone is hard. And this is where community, this is where church becomes so important. This is why small groups are not just something we kind of do. This is where the, you see the, the value, where, where they, they become so important. Because when you're in the midst of that storm, you can call on other people too and say, would you remind me of the promises of God? Would you, would you pray for me? Would you, would you help me see when I can't see? You begin to call out and pray that amazing prayer from the Gospels where, where it says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Here's the last thing. Last thing to do. See the cross. See the cross. See, because when you see the cross of Christ, you, you get to read Psalm 89 and say, wait, I know this has been fulfilled. I know that God kept his promise to David. That there is and will forever be a descendant of David who's the king. And it's Jesus. And so you, you, you see the cross. But here's the thing. When you see that the promise has been fulfilled in Christ, you can also see in the cross that it, it, it didn't go the way you would expect. The cross didn't make sense. The cross took Jesus through the darkest storm that anybody's ever faced. It took him to the cross where he bore the sin of the world on himself. Jesus experienced that storm. The full storm of God's wrath. And he conquered sin and death and the resurrection. And he, he did this to save you. To calm your greatest storm. So again, how much more will he be an anchor in the smaller storms? If you don't know Jesus, this is where it begins. It begins with you saying, I want to put my anchor there. This morning, I'm, I'm done throwing my anchor everywhere else. I, I want to put my hope and my trust and my life in this. And if you know Christ, this is what we do every day. We come back to that gospel every day, trusting in his promise that he's redeemed you, that he will keep you, that he is transforming you, that when you see the storm that he conquered on the cross, that it changes everything. That yes, the storm might be dark today, but God is still there, and I, I can trust him. I can bank on his promises because his faithfulness to me is not based on my merit, but on Jesus Christ's faithfulness, and he is eternally on the throne. As the worship team comes up, we're going to respond like the psalmist, and we're going to sing the praises of God's promises. We're going to sing about how Jesus endured the storm and he accomplished for us his plan of redemption. And now Jesus lives as this constant reminder for eternity that God's promises are true. So would you stand with me as I pray, as we respond in worship? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that, that we can gather together in worship right now and sing 
about your steadfast love. Father, I pray that as we, as we lift our voices together, Lord, that, that there may be some here in this room right now where the storm is raging so loud. God, I pray that as we sing, that your promises are louder than the storm. Father, for those in here this morning who, who have not put their anchor into your steadfast love, God, I pray that as we sing, God, that in in that act of worship, God, that they would be saying with their heart, God, you're worthy. Lord Jesus, you're my only hope. And God, that this morning would be a new day, a new day where, where, where their life is placed in you, in the certainty of the gospel, where sin is taken care of, where a future is secure. God, I pray for that today. Lord, for those who are here who who know you, but the storm is raging, God, I pray that again, that as we sing, God, that we would put the anchor of our soul in the truth of your gospel, that you are a, a faithful God, that you have a steadfast love, that all of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.